Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colner, and with me today is JJ Reynolds, Head of Marketing and Analytics at Media Authentic. And we're going to be discussing getting comfortable with data analysis. Welcome to the podcast, JJ. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Scott. No problem. I'm looking forward to discussing this topic. It's a hot topic for us in our agency. So I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about how you adapted your career how you learned the data analysis skills that you have and how you apply them today. Getting us started, I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey to where you are today. So I know you have a background as a videographer. Talk me through that journey from being a videographer to your position now as a head of marketing and analytics. Yeah. So I started out back in the day as a young lad. <laughs> um, I, I would love to like play around, mess with uh, like video videos, making content with like friends and all that kind of stuff. And then um, figured out like, I could make money from it, making promotional videos for mostly wineries. So I was actually shooting like, lots of uh, videos, most kind of weekends while in university and making some pretty good money, uh, like actually in university, shooting videos for wineries. Um, the biggest problem that we ran into though is that once I made the video, it was like, what do you do with this video? It was the next question that like the wineries would ask. <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, I don't know. That's not my problem. I was hired to make the video. <laughs> um, and so then basically it progressed from that to be like, okay, like, hey, you can push this boost button on Facebook. Like there's this thing that they like launch called the boost button. And then you can hit that and it goes to other people. I'm like, hey, you're a local winery. Like you can just target like 20 miles around you, right? Like there's like all like basically discovering like what the internet marketing world is. Basically after that, I ended up getting a job at like an agency uh, where I was kind of running ads, doing some of the content creation and things like that. But basically always came back to the conversation of uh, get a new client. The client would be like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. You guys are running my ads or running the uh, all these the content creation, etc." But then three months would go by and they'd be like, what are you guys doing again? Like, mm -hmm. is this actually making a difference? Or were these sales from like our event that we ran or like from the other piece that we did? And so it always came back to like, to like showing the numbers. And as like running Google ads or Facebook ads or any of the ads, you'd be like, look at these reports. Like, look at this. And then like the client is like, I don't know what that means. Like, what is a CPM? <laughs> what is a CPL? And so then I just basically dove into it. I was like, I don't fully understand how these numbers got here and just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper until 
I was like, this is a service that people need <laughs> to <laughs> just have someone to help them with their numbers. And that's when um, Media Authentic, uh, I started that and the rest is history. You were talking about the video creation part there. What year were we talking roughly that you started that? Uh, 20, like 13-ish. Okay. So about a decade ago now. Yeah, a decade or so going through this journey. And do you still undertake any videography at all? Uh, just for like our own marketing, yeah. more of like I get to have the fun of like making fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like there was a lot of on the job learning. So you were getting these questions from clients that it sounds to me like you've gone through this process of create the videos at one point, then learning how to promote them and then learning a little bit more about the reporting analysis and data side. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much like the the 10 year journey of <laughs> what you do like on a cyclical cycle in a week for most companies uh, yeah. of like where you make a content, you then analyze it and then you hopefully improve it. It just took me 10 years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> and when you started to get those questions about how is this performing, was that exciting to you because you were intrigued and you wanted to know at the time, could you remember how you felt about that? I think what was a little different about my journey of it is that I was always a creator for a purpose as opposed to like an artist, which I'm not like knocking any artists that are like, let me just make this beautiful thing. But I was like, what do you want? Let me make it. What are you trying to do? Mm. And like, let me just create this thing. So like whenever that would be, I, I was very much less an artist. And a lot of the, my friends who were like, I say true videographers <laughs> were more of like the artist type of like, let's make this pretty thing. And I was like, more of the person who would say, hey, what do you want? Let's make this and deliver it and then get you to be the happiest client so we get more people. So that was my... I was definitely more business-minded as a videographer when I was doing that um, as opposed to kind of the, the artist side of things. That makes sense. And how did you learn? So talk me through your, I guess, experience in learning data analysis. And you mentioned there 2013 is when you started to create videos. When did your data analysis journey begin? Yeah, just shortly after that. So um, basically, I was creating videos, doing that kind of stuff, got a job at an agency shortly after. And then from that point on, I was pretty much into like the measurement side of things right. as a whole. <laughs> um, and when like the like data analyst, right, everybody like says, hey, you're an analyst of what does the data analyst do? And like, for me, like we as like a company are like, we don't care about the analyst like the like an analyzing the data and i say that very loosely of like what they don't care about it yeah. is that most of the time like analyzing something doesn't give you like an action to take it mostly just gives you like hey this is up by three percent and you're like well was it supposed to be up by three percent or was it supposed to be like twenty percent our profit margins eight percent you're like was it supposed to be 30 like <laughs> so oftentimes like analysts like get like a bad a bad rep for just being like hey like this is the thing all right off to the races see you later uh, we, we like to say hey we like work with people to create a story out of it so that you know what the expectation was you have an idea about that and then like you kind of build a, an entire journey of what you expect so that you can find where to take the action as opposed to just someone spitting out numbers to you that don't make that much sense that makes sense so you, it sounds like that you started with expectation management yeah like it's yeah. the expectation of what what do you whenever you do anything in marketing right whether it's posting a new homepage or making a super bowl commercial what do you expect to happen and then measuring your benchmarks and like kpis and all those fancy things against that then gives you actions to take whereas if you had zero expectations 
you end up in like a downward spiral of like, we're just going to do this. Well, like, what do you expect to happen? What reporting solutions did you start with? Are you talking Google Analytics, Facebook Analytics or Ad Manager? What, what platforms were you using? Yeah, it started out with the basic stuff of kind of just looking at the Facebook, right? You started out running ads as like Facebook person. Like you're like, all oh, this data shows up in Business Manager, but how does it show up there, yeah. right? Like how does it get there? How does it know what's happening? Um, so then from that point, you say, okay, let me just say like, let me take a little looky-loo at like Google Tag Manager to see how this pixel is being set up. And then you get one step deeper and to say, okay, we need Google Analytics now to see the on-page performance and the um, at last click attribution. And then we want to go look one step deeper and then get both of those data sources into a single report. And now we're using Google Looker Studio, right? Mm-hmm. So this like, pro- the progression just kept going down this path. And as I asked more questions, I realized that more and more companies weren't Either they were asking these questions in like the wrong way of just looking at like, hey, how much do we spend as opposed to kind of building that story around it mm-hmm. um, where you, I like had that experience from media buying and then slowly kind of got smaller and smaller and smaller. But like now we just work with the numbers. It's interesting because you mentioned about asking questions. There. I think that knowing the right questions to ask, being curious and actually just asking the questions that are top of mind is one of the most important skills for data analysis and being a data analyst or a marketing analyst. Did that part of asking the right questions and just asking questions, was that natural for you? Yeah, that was one of the things that came the most natural to me. Uh, I think it stems from like kind of the content creation background where it's like working with people and working with cameras and kind of matching apertures and all these things that you have to try kind of what's my expectation when i put the aperture at 1.4 and the shutter speed at 200th of a second like i expect the photo to be like slightly overblown right a little Mm. washed out like click oh hey it it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) right like that's that's like the story of every person who starts like getting playing with manual settings inside of like that and then it's as long as you can apply that into the real world of like I say real world loosely of like analytics and like marketing. That's what people oftentimes are missing is like, what did you expect to happen when you did this thing? And if you can write that down when you do it, it makes reporting on that a thousand times easier. So what were the hardest parts for you to learn when it comes to data analysis? Because there are different skills involved in comparison to videography and marketing. Um, It sounds like you had a really good foundation in your ability to ask questions, your curiosity. But was there anything else that you remember specifically having to learn, whether it was um, a platform or a skill or a framework? I think the hardest the hardest thing to like wrap your head around, and for me it was as well, is like knowing the why those numbers exist. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if you're looking at Google Analytics and it says, "Oh, you had ten thousand sessions this week." Well, what is a session? Like, what is it? How how is that defined? How do you know you're not overcounting or undercounting those sessions? Did you do uh, like multiple domains, right? So kind of understanding the reason why those numbers exist, how they get there. Like if you have all those pieces, how do they get there? How does it work? And what do you expect? Like that was the hardest part because there's a lot of overlap of technical and strategy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's learning the, the data collection techniques. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's the, the, one of the harder parts is understanding the why behind it because it's so easy to smash buttons all day long until you have something that looks like it should be correct, but it might not be correct. Mm. And 10 years on, so you know, I look at data analyst and marketing analyst roles now and I see requirements for 
programming languages like R and Python. And I've worked with many marketers who don't have those skills, who are actually really good marketing or data analysts. Uh, Have you come across this? Do you think that you need to have those skills to be a marketing analyst in today's environment? No, I don't, I don't think you need, like you're becoming, it's becoming more and more technical. (laughs) It used to be where you could just like drag and drop, click buttons and bam, you get your answer. It's getting more and more convoluted. We're now, now you kind of have to know some level of like SQL, like at a base, then you might want to know a little bit of how to like understand the basics of what's happening with Python. Um, you definitely have to know some level of like JavaScript and the data collection side. And then it really is helpful to know HTML so that you can debug something on a page and know if it's the right element that you're looking at. Like, so those are kind of the main pieces. But at the end of the day, I think the best marketing measurement uh, analyst type of person is the person who can like understand the business and ask the best possible questions because honestly like most of the time they like all the like coding stuff all the pieces like that don't really make the biggest impact if you don't have really good questions have you had to train any of your team on that aspect of asking questions because it sounds so natural to you i'm thinking about the people out there that maybe Maybe it's not as natural to, and I'm thinking that perhaps you've worked with people in your team where that aspect of just overcoming that, maybe anxiety of putting yourself out there and asking questions, that curiosity, um, which I think is fundamental. It sounds like you agree it's fundamental to be a good data analyst. Any advice that you've got for those people about like how to ask the right questions? Oh, yeah. So this... This is my favorite because we work with clients on this because we work with like marketing directors, marketing VPs of like really big companies. And they'll ask a question that like might be a standard question that they think they need to answer for. Mm. But my favorite thing is an acronym that I've (laughs) I've coined and I call it WIGDI. And like, what are you going to do about it? So if I tell you the answer to this question that you have, what are you going to do about (laughs) it? And that's my favorite thing is like saying like, what are you going to do about it if I tell you this? So That's for example, funny. just for everybody who's uh, listening with me in your earballs, um, is say you, for example, did like an analysis and your CEO or director was like, let's do an analysis by zip code shipping and the rain and see if it like, if it rains, like does that affect our sales, mm. right? And you find out that when it rains more than four inches in a 72-hour period, you just go off the rail. Like your shop is just crushing it, okay? Mm. So what are you going to do about that? Make it rain more, <laughs> right? Like if you could make it rain, it's a much better business, I think, than probably whatever widget you're selling. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like the thing. Like you could find – like you could spend hours doing like APIs to get all the data from the – weather channel and figuring out like which zip codes it rained in did it rain enough now to cross that with this number of sales we had um and then we're promoting anything there to like get those outliers out of the way but like at the end of the day what are you going to do if i tell you that you got three times more sales when it rained yeah i think that's such an important aspect of data analysis it's yeah in my mind i'm kind of framing it or summarizing it as the ability to know when a question is actually going to give you an answer that you're going to apply in some way. I think that's one of the downsides actually to be an analyst and maybe one of the most difficult things is that you can be so curious about so many things, but actually in reality, what are you going to apply from your learnings? And if you're not going to apply anything, if you're not, as you said, if you're not going to do anything about it, that discipline of knowing when to step back and actually say, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because there's no need to do it. 
is probably one of the best skills that you can l- learn, particularly early in your career, I think. Yeah, and I think just to summarize that for like an action point for anyone listening mm. is there are only two types of real questions. There's what questions and how questions. The what questions are like, what happened? <laughs> like, wh- how many sales did we have? What occurred? How many people saw the page? How many page views? Account- like, that's what happened, right? And then there's how questions of how did that happen? Of did you run Facebook ads and the Facebook traffic is the ones that are driving this? Did you have a new agency that was testing traffic and was split testing pages? And that's why you have double in these two different uh, URLs, right? Mm-hmm. So there's only what questions and how questions. The why questions are where usually a human has to get involved. And that's where like the marketing director, the marketing person has say, oh, wow, like we're trending up in this. Like, why is that happening? Like, that's where we want to say, oh, it's because we just spent a quarter of a million dollar on Facebook ads for lead gen. That's why we have all these leads. Like, yeah. that is where you have to know, like, why is it happening? Um, or why are we doing this is where you have to just kind of have that human level because you can't just feed numbers into, for numbers' sake, you have to have those what questions, the how questions, and then the why is where people start to get involved. On this topic of knowing the questions to ask and the questions not to ask, are there any other common pitfalls that you would recommend marketing analysts to avoid? So things that you see in either your clients or your peers, your team, where you kind of scratch your head and you're like, oh, no, please don't focus on that because it's going to be a waste of your time. The biggest thing is like seeing people ask very specific questions. Like, for example, um, if you added a new footer to your website, right? Like, mm-hmm. did that make a difference? And I was like, well, what were you trying? Like, were you trying to get something? Like, what, what is difference? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yes, there's a difference. The page is now purple at the bottom. Ta-da, <laughs> it's different. Right. But like, you want to start saying, like, what are we trying to do? And, If you don't know what you're trying to do, it's so hard to work with any marketing person. And that's what we often, like the companies that we work with, if their marketing team knows what they're trying to do, like we can rock their world Mm. because we can kind of be one step ahead of them of like what question they're going to ask. And it is amazing. And I think that's where you can really get into a sync. If you have a team that you know what they're trying to do and as an analyst or as a marketing support or however you, if you're a person who does this to work with numbers, if you can kind of pace them and say, okay, we're trying to do this. Here's what happened last week. Here's what we expect to happen next week. And you can just get into a really good jive with a marketing team who knows what they're trying to do and to help them improve at every step. So that's like a kind of Mm. problem and also solution in one little soundbite there for you. Yeah, it reminds me of in conversion rate optimization, how I've seen this in different conversion rate optimization management systems and websites, particularly I think growth hackers comes to mind, like making sure that you have a hypothesis tied to each of your conversion rate optimization experiments. And essentially, the principle of what you're saying is exactly the same. It's if you're going to make a change to your website, have a hypothesis in mind. What do you expect this change to make? And is it worth Is it one of those things that's actually worth analyzing or not? For example, there are going to be things that you fundamentally change, maybe because they're just bugs, things that don't work correctly on your website. So you might not actually assess the impact of some changes. It really comes down to what what we talked about at the beginning. What is your expectation of this change? What is your hypothesis? If you have one, great. Maybe you can measure against it. But if you don't and you're asking that question afterwards, it's probably a sign that it's not something that's useful to measure. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And 
what we want to do is we always want to try to capture as much information that you know where to go find the answer to the questions. Mm. Um, at, at, and like that's kind of where a good team comes into play is that they can they've started on the data collection piece before the question was asked. So that when the question is asked, you're not having to restructure the entire world. Like you already have all the information. You have to re-kind of configure your question and reporting system to get that answer to get back to work. You mentioned the word human at some point, and it just struck me that I've had conversations in our team about utilizing AI assistance or technology in different reporting solutions to raise marketing insights. Do you use any kind of AI-driven insights in the tools that you're using, or do you avoid them altogether? Yeah, it's one of those, I think now more than ever, it's one of those questions that we have to just keep asking ourselves mm. is how can we utilize this new, like I say new, relatively new technology mm. of AI or machine learning mm. or whatever those pieces are. And we use it somewhat, like most of the time, we our, our team kind of serves as that currently where the ai like algorithms will kind of serve as uh anomaly detection <laughs> more or yeah. less and i think that's kind of what they are is like anomaly detection of yeah. like this last week you had 1000 this week you have 1500 it's a 50 percent increase where you try like were you expecting a 50 percent increase yeah. right and that's where if you have enough information i think it has the potential in the future like we've tried to play around the custom a few custom things where we feed in custom data sets to an owned ai to output insight but at the current moment it's usually not that helpful a little bit of training and then you would find the answer faster than reading the statement i can tell you're a natural storyteller and you focus on the story of data which again i think makes for a fundamentally good data analyst but I am interested in knowing what you consider to be like the perfect structure of a marketing insight. Are you able to talk through that? What makes a perfect marketing insight and how do you articulate that to clients? Oh, yeah. I love love this question because when I start with the end first, yeah. is usually the end is a report, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty visualization usually that's going to marketing directors most of the time, sometimes marketing VPs, depending on what level that we're working with. And I tell our team, the goal is that the action jumps off the page. The mm. action to take should jump off the page at that director, at that v VP, whoever it might be. That's the goal. Working back from that is how do we get to that, right? How do we get to <laughs> an action that jumps off the page to take, right? Yeah. And so what kind of our process is and how I would suggest other people to do this is you start with just saying how many people – saw the thing that we're looking at, right? Or that we're trying to do. So let's just say, for example, you guys, we are running like a marketing campaign for uh, like selling a new fancy water bottle that keeps your water bottle water cold for six weeks, right? It's really <laughs> fancy. You should probably be drinking it faster, but that's the marketing <laughs> that we're doing. So what you want to say is like, okay, how many people saw this messaging? Like how many people saw it? How many people stuck around to read the above the fold content, right? So you're starting to like kind of pace out a story of what the page is supposed to do mm -hmm. or whatever marketing that you have is supposed to do. So, hey, they hit the page, the page loaded. The website did its job. It loaded the page. Double thumbs up. We've got the first step done. Next step is the above the fold content, right? So maybe people are supposed to stick around for at least seven seconds to read the above the fold content. Then 
people are supposed to, right, kind of pacing out our expectation is go view the product images and the product video, right? That's the next step. Then they're supposed to read the reviews, which we, we put conveniently right below that. And then they're supposed to hit add to cart, right? So that's kind of like what we expect the person supp- we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. If you kind of benchmark those out, you now have an optimization that you could clearly see. A thousand people hit the page, 700 people stuck around for seven seconds, 400 people uh, viewed the product images, 100 people viewed the reviews and five, 50, or 50 people clicked add to cart. You now have a 0.5% page efficiency rate. Where the biggest fall off happen? People going to, re, to, the, to, the, to the reviews, right? So maybe that's not the best move. So you can easily see kind of like, vis, like audially, not, yeah. the, you know, not, not the easiest to see, <laughs> but if you have like a little funnel thing for every individual product page you have, you can clearly see A, which product pages are doing the best as far as getting people to move to that next step. And then B, where you need to improve things like, wow, our, our, our reviews really suck at getting people to move to add to cart. Maybe we should uh, not put the reviews there and put like a quote from a celebrity and a testimonial from somebody really, really famous. And so that kind of process of looking at your data collection of saying, what is the purpose of this page or the purpose of any marketing content that we have? More than just like get sales, but like what's the purpose of the next step? The page loaded. Now what? They read the above the fold. How do we know if they did that? They then engage with the product videos or whatever it might be. So I, I used to like an e-commerce kind of example there, but that works for anything. We've worked with sales teams who have call setting expectation where you book a call, then you have a, a call with a rep. They, they send you a custom order. The custom order, like you can kind of benchmark out every single one of those steps. And if you have that expectation of, I expect 70% of people to continue 30%, 20%, 10%, 1%. Now you have a, a much more uh, granular way of improving things. And I'm thinking about bringing this to life. The, the story aspect of what you've just said makes sense to me. And now I'm interested in like the execution. So do you have any favorite tools or software that you would recommend to listeners? Or is this something that you build in-house, your reporting solutions? What helps you bring this to life? Yeah, so we we use mostly like 80% is kind of the Google suite of tools. Yeah. So this is looking at uh, Google Analytics, Google Tag Manager, Google BigQuery, Google Looker Studio. Those kind of four will get you I'd say most companies under a hundred million dollars that will rock your world. You're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> like um, no need to invest in some fancy AI tool yet. Right. I, once, once it comes out and I can, if someone has if someone's listening and has a fancy AI tool that wants to like send me a demo, let me know because I'm happy to change my tune. But right now that free suite of tools and investing in the people of them, as opposed to an expensive tool seems to be the best method that we would recommend. Yeah, I asked you a question about pitfalls. And actually, it sounds like that's one of them is seeking a tool that will automate or give you marketing insights, as opposed to putting in this work to ask the right questions and utilize the free tools that are available. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, exactly. Like use invest in the the, the questions and the people and the thought process. Because the the AI tools that I've seen, like we've tried to build our own, we have our own Slack channel that we like kind of integrated into chat uh, GPT. Um, so we can like ask it questions directly from Slack uh, and all these types of things. But like, again, invest in the people or the strategy of it is going to get you way better results than having a 
5000 $10,000 a month SaaS product. In closing, JJ, I'm really interested in this storytelling aspect. It's coming through so much in this episode. And I'm thinking about how you learn. Uh, and I appreciate some of this is natural for some people, this storytelling aspect. But the way you broke it down just a moment ago, really good logic techniques and reflection techniques, encouraging people to take a step back, think through their expectations step by step, and then document them in some sort, some kind of story format. It sounds like that is pretty natural to you. But do you have any favorite storytellers in marketing and business people that you look to that you know, maybe what you're talking about today on this episode, maybe their content resonates with you because um, it's very similar? Yeah, I think for me, I really enjoy people that are kind of non-conventional in the sense of like their storytelling abilities. One of my favorite books to read from a storytelling perspective, which is very like, I guess, counterintuitive is the book, uh, never split the difference by, Oh my goodness. I'm blinking on his name. Chris Voss. Um, but the book, yes, Chris yeah. Voss, the storytelling in that, even though it's not a storytelling book, yeah. right? The sto- if you read the book with the lens of storytelling, phenomenal. <laughs> I love it because every single kind of case study he breaks down is a story of either miscommunication or incorrect communication. And so that is literally what we're doing on these reporting on the reporting side is if you have incorrect communication, like you are up a creek without a paddle, like mm-hmm. it doesn't work. You can have the most useful reporting. And we've seen this happen where like you have a lot of different reporting on people. And if they don't understand where you're coming from, you're now like on their hit list. Yeah. And so I really, really like, I know that's uh, not probably what you're expecting, but the, yeah, by Chris Voss, the never the difference book. Uh, because that is pretty much what happens every day in the workplace with clients, with companies, is just the breakdown of communication on the numbers, on what the numbers mean, how the numbers got there. And if you can mitigate that, like you are going to be such a better reporter, analyst, measurement, marketing, all that jazz in one. Yeah, I think that's a great recommendation. And you're right, it doesn't come up in context of data analysis very often, that book, or you, know, an, you might not expect it in a, an episode like this. It's come up in the podcast before, Maybe when discussing sales, I think, because, uh, you know, a lot of there is a lot of uh, content in the book that's oriented around helping people negotiate. Uh, But you're right, is that fundamentally at the heart of that book and what I've taken from that book are communication skills. And so I think there is a direct connection between what you're saying about that resource, learning from that resource, and then your your ability to communicate insights, like find uh, finding the medium through which best to communicate with your client or your peers about marketing insights. So I definitely see the parallels there. JJ, it's been a pleasure talking to you on the episode today. If people want to extend the conversation, learn more about you and Media Authentic, where can they find you? Yeah, if you uh, are a company doing, I don't know, between 10 and $100 million in sales, MediaAuthentic.com, M-E-D-I-A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-C. If you want to watch that back on 0.5 speed, that's okay. <laughs> um, .com, and you can book a call there. If you're an agency or consultant and you're like, hey, this stuff sounds really interesting, I'd love to kind of add this to our, our knowledge base, we have an entire program called Better Than Data at betterthandata.com where we kind of teach this stuff to agencies and consultants so that you can go out and improve your services by using actual actionable data and uh that's uh, there you go better than data media authentic find me there or google jj reynolds just about anywhere wonderful well listeners you know the drill everything we've discussed today will be in the show notes for now this has been the internet marketing podcast take care thanks jj 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.